destroyed nonchalance. Taking culture apart one episode at a time. A social commentary podcast on pop culture, fashion, film, and music. Hello, welcome back to Destroyed Nonchalant. Um, this is a bit of a return after a pause that we took a break. I felt like it was important that if I were going to participate in a conversation and, you know, and, and do it fully engaged, then I needed to know what to do with the feelings of anger I was feeling, the frustration, the concern for what I'm seeing like out in the world, the empathy that I was feeling. I needed to take a break and I needed to kind of figure out where my head was at and where it's at right now. Um, so I'm okay that we took a break. How are you with this, Rick? How are you doing right now? Um, where's your head been for like the past few months? I'm just living like everybody else is. Maybe with yeah. a little bit more privilege, but it's kind of like, it just feels like borrowed time all the time when you sit down and think, so... Tell me what you mean by borrowed time. Just maybe that can help frame the conversation that, that we have today. It just feels like things are hanging on a thread a bit. Like, okay, things are holding, but like what the kind of things? could break... I don't know, everything, the system, the financial systems, the work systems, the living, just societal things that go with the societal contract, like, you pay are you, rent how to caught live up in a are place. You in this? What? How, how caught up, what's your investment in this system? How much are you embedded in this system? I don't, I don't know. I mean, the system is what's allow, allowing us to be and do what we're doing right right now. So As everybody's entangled in the system unless you live out in the woods. Right. And so are you feeling like your own connection to work and society and everything are hanging by a thread? I think everything is hanging by a thread. So if you try to like, thread the needle and start sewing, it doesn't seem like there's anything solid on the other side to sew into. Right. Like, okay, well, everybody knows, you know, do this and then, you know, you'll succeed in this way or follow this and... The solid pat answers. It's just like kind the of... formulas um, that everyone's been used to. You don't know what's going to be... In the other side of all of this, and so it's or hard when to... we'll even get to the other side of all of this. I mean, we're in London right now. The numbers for COVID are down. Um, we're not seeing the rioting, um, the rebellion that we saw like coming in waves a couple of months ago. But family and friends, they're over there in the states, and the numbers have not gone down in the states. Um, and you see an escalation of almost every kind of tension you can imagine in the States. And I don't even know, like, are they even in the thick of it? And are we even in the thick of it with them? Or is it just going to get thicker? Is it going to get denser? It's going to get worse for the States, for sure. And everywhere else in the world, it's 
until you get a vaccine, you're going to be have to thread carefully because there will be ups and downs. And if this is something that people are going to have to live with from now on, right? well, people don't just get used to something right away. So no. some people are going to have to get hurt and learn. And that's going to hurt other people, unfortunately. And we're and seeing a lot of that. How many deaths did we see? Uh, what were the numbers for the, the states? We just saw them today. It was like a thousand people. The last two days, it's hit a high of a thousand one hundred deaths. So that's two thousand two hundred in two days. Dead people are just gone. And probably today they'll be a very close to that number. So the surges of cases in the last two and three weeks are yielding the results that we knew they would. Right, which is a lot more dead people. And, you know, the numbers that we see are always underreported. So it's probably a lot worse than people know. But it's already what do people do know is really bad. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, because we do know that there's underreporting going on. I'm here in London today. The law just kicked in that you have to wear a mask when you're indoors. Um because I can say, like, the last time I went to a store, um, it was maybe 20% of the people inside who were wearing a mask. And the huge majority of people weren't, from the coworkers to the customers, um, they weren't wearing a mask. But you said you went into a store today, this morning, and everyone, from the employees to the customers, they were all wearing masks, right? And it's yeah, a and law it's, now. it's a small convenience store, and it's not telling of everything. Right. But... Everybody was wearing a mask. I don't think that the same arguments about freedom or whatever the hell are happening. They haven't taken root here like that as far as we know. But, I mean, truthfully, we're not engaging with the people who would be articulating those kind of opinions. Um, But you see them every day. You see videos of them all the time. Yeah. So it's not like anecdotal evidence. You see a video of a person moving their mouth and freaking out, spewing their argument. And it's the whole Karen phenomenon, <laughs> like the angry white woman phenomenon. Um, that's taken on a life of its own. Um, taking on a life of its own is the whole Black Lives Matter movement, um, which has been really important. And over the past few months, I've learned what was meant by defunding the police. Um, I've learned about like um, fatality rates. And, you know, the higher proportion of black people who are abused and murdered by cops, um, the systematic racism, the problems um, that have always been there, but have been relatively easy for some populations to ignore. Um, and I, that's actually more of what I started just wanting to be quiet and listen to, um, thinking and thoughts around that. But you that. weren't always just quiet, and you are able to write down some thoughts in a very smart way about what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, I, cause we recorded, we did record that podcast, but there was a podcast that we recorded, but, but it, that's not, that wasn't just it. And the whole point was, yes, you need to read and learn and do the homework, but, being quiet and going into a corner was not what we did. No, I think of it more as processing. Not what you did. 
more is processing. Like, okay, I knew what my gut reactions to everything were, and I went and posted on social media and everything. And then it felt like, okay, this is so clear cut, so black and white, and just so like easy to see. At, at what point does it just become repetitive and like, how much am I going to like continue to say just how I see things, which I'm perfectly willing to acknowledge that it's not perfect is I'm not like flawless in how I see things, but I can understand the basic arguments that are being made. And I just wanted to get it out there. And to me, it was very clear. It's almost like the people who don't want to get the message are clearly Obviously, the people who don't want to get the message, there's no way you couldn't have heard it by this point. And now it's a matter of what's going to be done about it. Because I just don't think like people are going to be convinced through um, social media about, you know, through rational argument. And I mean, they can be shamed, of course. Through you know like these videos showing these crazy out of control characters. Well, I think social media has been very powerful in yeah, no, it has, and into keeping. I mean, it's definitely it's not double the same sword. way that it was for two months there. Yeah, but th- what it did to heighten everything to that movement, right, and to educate people and to have everybody speak about it like you can kind of like say well you shared a story and whatever okay that doesn't really do anything but that's one of the puzzle pieces it it gets at least a lot of people on the same page it just it, it makes it so loud that nobody can ignore it and that's one way to amplify right a message it's right. not the only way, and as we saw on the streets, it wasn't the only way, but it's very valuable still. And it's very hard to get um, a stable frame of mind, I think, when, when social media is always there to provide you with a fresh take on problems that we know are there. And Well, that's why you... Get smart get about your how you sources from eat everywhere. It. <laughs> yeah, and it's not just like if Twitter didn't say it, or if Facebook, or if Instagram didn't say it, then I guess it doesn't exist. Right. So what what sources uh, do you go to? The the most reliable for you? Well, I mean, social media has good reliable sources, but then you go to actual news organizations like I go through my Apple news feed and you right. have BBC, CNN I don't know, I mean <laughs> no, Huffington I, Post is one that I check all the time and Huffington Post and are there particular people like I know we listen to Rachel Maddow almost every day and you know whether you agree with everything that she says or not she's so thorough in the way she investigates and i mean it's hard to disagree with how she puts together an argument because she's just so detailed in it and i love listening to rachel maddow that's a reliable source who are some others that you stephanie miller stephanie miller and a thousand podcasts that you play on a loop 
every a every morning <laughs> we have. But if you're going to listen to a pundit, go and theorize about what they're listening to, reflect on it, give an opinion, then it should be one that makes you think about something that you haven't thought about before. And if there's if they do it with some credibility, like they have a record of um, providing good conversation around a subject, or if they've done something like work in the Obama White House for a number of years, then these are people who can take something that's just a headline to a lot of people and turn it into like a flesh and blood story that engages you and it gets you beyond just the headline. And then you get their expertise behind the scenes to make it come alive a little more. That's one of the reasons why I like the podcasts. Um, Cause then they can just Did talk. Did you never get sick of them? Um, I, I get tired of because I subscribe to NPR podcasts and they'll do like an hourly update. And a lot of times those stories get rehashed. So the first time I've heard it, it's good, but um, they repeat a lot. But, you know, I think that used to happen when people listened to like the radio and television and got the news that way, because you would get repeated news stories and with maybe slight updates tacked on to the end. And that used to happen a lot, I think. And honestly, I can say that I don't always give every podcast my full attention. Sometimes I just like to hear intelligent people talking in the room. And it's almost like it's soothing in a way. So is that how your last few months have been going? What? What have you? What is the catch-up? We've been social distancing probably more than a lot of people have. Um, <laughs> so that means that we wake up in the morning and put on the news. And I have to play my Animal Crossing now. I need something that introduces me to my day in a way that actually can bring a smile to my face. And I'm not saying I'm a good <laughs> Animal Crossing player, but I do like planting the flowers. I like watering the flowers, seeing what new colors come out, and then, you know, waiting for the shop to open and buying the clothes. Fine. So, make my coffee, sit down, and play a little bit of Animal Crossing to get my day started. And before too long, ideas start popping into my head about my research, which I've continued to work on every day, and I can go more into that later. So I'll get up and put the Animal Crossing down and start seeing how the computers are running because I'm my own IT person and I have a lot of data related to my research, a lot of songs and music and everything that I'm really interested in. And um, anybody who knows this knows that our Wi-Fi has been terrible for most of this lockdown. That's one of the main reasons why we would go to a cafe and sit all day because we could have good internet. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we got um, fiber installed. It's been really good, but now our computers are having to adapt to that. And it's boring, yes, but it's kind of exciting because everything is working now. It's just taking a little bit of work to get it all up and running. Like backups can work and my documents can sync, and I can make a note on a PDF on my iPad, and it will show up on my desktop, and it's all 
just starting to work. And that takes daily maintenance. Um, maybe because I'm like super psycho about it. I do go into a bit of detail. Um, I look at the nuts and bolts of things, but that's going. So then I sl- I'll sit down and I'll start working on my notes and everything while news plays. And I use a podcast app, I load the episodes, and they just run down. And it always starts with the most recently released. So that's why the news stories can like repeat. Um, and then we have like a late brunch and we'll watch. What do we usually watch? We've been watching Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. And we're almost finished with that. We started that during lockdown and we're almost finished with it now. We watch it pretty much every day except for Saturdays when RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars has been showing. Um, well, first it was just season 12, the regular Drag Race and the All-Stars. Um, so that's the only day we don't watch Shit's Creek. And then after that, I go back to work a little bit um, on the research stuff, making notes, doing writing on that. And... Um, then we move into our evening. We have taken maybe two walks. We probably should do more. We just haven't. And whenever we go outside, I'm fine just wearing my mask all the time. I don't care. I mean, Asian people did it all the time before. So yeah. <laughs> now I have reason to. And why wouldn't I? So we're always really careful. We probably are more careful than we should. But, you know, one slip and you could get something. So why or not? Or give it to somebody. And this yeah. is going to be like a change that I'm not equating this to the Great Depression, but this is going to make an impression for sure on how we live our lives from now on. I mean, I will say, just to jump in for a bit, we haven't had a single cold, we haven't gotten the flu or anything for, and it's what, been six months of this? This is July. (laughs) So it's been several months. We've gone through half a year with no kind of sickness. And yeah, I mean, that's good. I'm enjoying that part of it. <laughs> Besides going to the movies and, you know, being able to walk around without having go to, to a Western show, be frozen. Yeah, I mean, or a movie premiere. Those are always fun. I don't know that a lot of things that I enjoyed before are ever going to come back fully, but we'll see. But they won't look the same if they do come back. It's going to be really strange. It's, it just hasn't been, like, us that much staggered, like, my emotional, I don't know, like, stability hasn't completely been broken to hell. From social distancing? Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're always around each other anyways. It's just the being able to do other things or travel or do any of that. That's just kind of, you know, been messed up. And then... Seeing family. Being able to... So, yeah, so what I've been doing is just, it changes, and definitely the the movement and everything that happened paused a lot of stuff, but from working on The Relevant Queer to working on Image Amplified and potential issues that has, and working on all of the things that are connected to, to these like their Instagram accounts or the WordPress stuff. Right. And a lot of the IT stuff, that's, it takes time, it takes attention, and it's kind of boring to talk about. 
but it's just a reality. It's yeah, too- and working working on those things and working on my London Instinct videos and the research on that, right. which I put away for a while and I had to work up to doing again. And I am doing again, but all of that is kind of what I like doing and want to do, but I probably and shouldn't be doing it as much as I am because I need to do a job thing. (laughs) So for the last month or so, that's been, you know, applications and all of that stuff have been happening. Um, So Relevant Queer... IA, work stuff, and then your London Mystic Pokemon videos. Uh, London Instinct, I'm not a Mystic player. Oh, sorry. <laughs> London Instinct. Yeah, the... I feel like we should talk a bit about some of the projects that we've been working on. Um, like Relevant Career, for example. I feel like in times like these, it's really important to draw focus to good examples of what people have done in the past and what it was like for them. So with Relevant Queer, we look at to kind of draw attention to what it is that they do. So Rick, who are some of our recent RQ highlights, Relevant Queer highlights? Well, the last three were Arthur Lawrence. Arthur Lawrence. Michelle Aboro. Michelle Burrow And Ruth Ellis. Ruth Ellis. Okay. So, author Lawrence. He was a writer and a director for stage and screen. So, West Side Story, Gypsy. Gypsy. <laughs> I mean, Gypsy is one of our... We just love Gypsy. Yeah, we saw the Melda Stuntman. I don't really like West Side Story. I've never I'm not really that familiar it. with it. I never got into West Side Story It's either. supposed to be like Romeo and Juliet, but gangs. Yeah, gangs. Which, mm, man, <laughs> I know a lot of people well, like no. it. Well, no, and it's good and all that. Good I know stuff, people but. like it. I've just not really gotten into it. Maybe in the future, who knows? So I mean, he collaborated with people. He didn't do it all. Right, it was Stephen Sondheim, and he didn't write the music. But yeah, he, he wrote like a Leonard lot of. Bernstein has been a, an RQ person before. Right, like there, there. He's just a writer. And he's done movies, and he's written musicals like La Cajo Folly. Is that how La Cajo Fall? Yeah. The Way We Were, which I love. The Barbara Streisand movie. I remember my mom watching that, and I don't think I've ever seen it. <laughs> I don't even know how you I would watch know, it like, now. Yeah, I don't know. I may have like rented it from the library when DVDs were a thing back in college oh, years. Oh, okay. Because I was looking into Barbara Streisand and that. But, so, some of these things I knew, like Gypsy, we we weren't huge no huge fans or knowing of it until we saw Imelda Staunton. Yeah, because we like Imelda Staunton. And so, we saw her at the West, West End, and, like, we've experienced some of these things, never knowing that this man had originated a lot of these things wait we've like the musicals and like the plays that we were going to go see yeah the movies written written these movies and you know it's such a shame 
And he seemed to me like somebody who really didn't care about big praise. He kind of just had these stories in him right. to do or to go off of. I mean, he didn't come up with Gypsy from his mind. It was based on Gypsy Rosalie's book, but right. You know, but he shifted the focus from the daughter who's a stripper to the mother. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, a lot of the times a writer is discounted, and which was one of his biggest complaints. Yeah, with and working I mean, in movies the, the, and everything, is that the writer, the scriptwriter, would be discounted. And the fact that he was queer and pretty much out. Right. Living his life and and working and being successful. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a shame that a lot of people don't really know about that history. So I really liked finding out about him and the things he's done. And his opinions were a little radical and he was a bit bitchy. <laughs> well, yeah, no, he was. Very, <laughs> he had know. a reputation for, you know, being quite acidic and everything, but I mean, come on. It's not that rare. I don't know that he always lived his life in a measured way. I think towards the middle where he was doing all of these things, he had to measure it a bit more, what he said, how he promoted things in order to get them made and to, you know, Right. Have something that he did with his life. But there was a point where, you know, whatever, I have my opinions and this is how I work. And he worked pretty much like almost up until the end. Yeah, he was really older and he was still putting up the, like, what was it? The Patty Lapone was one of his last Gypsy productions, which one. Him Tony's and all kinds every time, of things. Yeah, every time he took to directing the production of Gypsy on the stage, it would win Tony's and everything. Um, so I think he got a lot more of the accolades in the theater world and less so in the movie world, which is why he stopped making movies after a while. Because yeah. both he and Barbara Streisand were disappointed with the final movie version that came out because it removed a lot of the, the politics around um, the... What was it? The House of American, Un-American Activities, the communist scare that was going on, and like the choices that uh, it was forcing on people in the yeah, Hollywood community. He was very discounted because the writer is very discounted, and that disillusioned him to Hollywood. So yeah. he just didn't do that anymore. Right. And he went back to Broadway. Who was the second um, relevant queer person? We had... Michelle Aboro. And what does she do? <laughs> She's a boxer and a She's badass. still alive. You yeah. can find her on Instagram or at I least mean, her girlfriend. It was crazy to... Because we don't just want to do the people who have passed on. No. Their stories are important, but to celebrate somebody that is still doing their thing. There's been a few that we've done that are still, you know, working and living. And she was... Uh, she's a boxer from England, from London. And, yeah, um, her parents, her family was Nigerian, yeah. right? And yeah, and her mom was uh, from London. So, I mean, she she had a a big uphill thing for being a, a female boxer, and she was never 
she she retired undefeated and she defended her title three times i think right and there's a lot of details about you know boxing the, terminology score, of that the, world the sports and, but she was undefeated she retired undefeated and i mean to find out that up until 1996 women in the uk were not allowed to f- box <laughs> that's just crazy i mean that's not very long ago and no. you know she had to she go was, to europe to germany she was doing kickbox boxing or mma yeah. and she secretly learned like boxing and everything on the side as like a um a secret strategy for beating her mma opponents mm-hmm. and so she was learning boxing even though she wasn't supposed to and that uh, that's one of the things that allowed her to be an undefeated mma fighter is that yeah. what they're called and then when they finally made boxing legal she was able to go into that arena and she remained undefeated yeah and she married and lives in China in Hong Kong. Right. Well, I think she's in Shanghai and her wife is in Hong Kong because it's, of COVID. It's weird to read about. It was an ESPN article where, you know, she she opened up a gym over there and I think she has two of them, but her talking about how careful they need to be and the precautions and seeing her with a mask and talk seeing her talk about her wife and not being with her since they were separated because COVID all started back in January in China, like the biggest flare-ups. So um, all of that, she had been separated from her wife for a long time because of it. So, it's, so hard. it's all very, for her wife and child, because they, they have a, a little girl. And I don't know, I mean, she has a few documentaries and... It was interesting to see a bit of that, and I don't know, people like her should be more celebrated, because, you know, reading about her and her undefeated status, right? like Rocky had that, there's very few undefeated champions, and, you know, there's all those Rocky movies, why why aren't there some movies about her? I think her life would be really interesting to turn into a movie, I mean, and who knows, I don't know. I don't watch a lot of boxing movies anyway. Maybe there, there might be something out there that's but been the, kind of inspired by her. It, it's the large appeal of, like, the emotion, the drive, I think. Right. That focuses... Like, that's what those Rocky movies were technically about. Yeah. Not giving up. And when you're beaten down, you still get back up. Right. I think. <laughs> I don't know. I think I saw some, maybe. Or that's as far as, like, my interpretation. So, the, the fighting spirit, basically. Right. Why can't they do that for her? <laughs> yeah. Especially when you need more stories about, you know, people of color. And I mean, you, you had Hillary Swink who won an Oscar for her portrayal of that woman that she was a boxer. And yeah, it's a really good movie. And I don't care about boxing at all, but I liked Hillary Swink in yeah, the so movie and it was really good. Michelle Rodriguez, she was in it? I think so. Okay. If I'm thinking of the right one. Okay, so the third person is... Ruth Ellis. Ruth Ellis. And that was, what, just yesterday, right? Yes. Okay. And I know she was an activist, but she also ran her own printing press in Detroit. Yeah. Yeah, the first African-American-owned printing press. And there were a lot of firsts in her family. What was her father was the first... uh, Black mail, uh, mail. mail deliverer yeah. in Springfield, Illinois. 
And I mean, <laughs> I I think that her life really was of note because she lived out and proud. Right. And the fact that somebody did that in her time, she and she, her time is three centuries. By the way, she yeah. was born in 1899. She lived through the 1900s, and she died in 2000. <laughs> So her life was in three centuries. Yeah, she was 101 <laughs> years old when she passed, and right. I think in her 80s, whenever she started really coming up and talking at universities and really being the activist right. that she ended being and having documentaries done about her, I think she inspired a lot of people. Right. To come out or to live their life openly. Because she said, I was never in the closet. I was always out. And like, and her family, it seemed like they made it easier to do that because they didn't discuss her being gay. Yeah. So it allowed her just to be gay. Yeah. She's such a rare example of what can... I mean, she wasn't... She did have things missing, obviously, because it would... The the reason I saw that her dad was okay with her being gay was because then she wouldn't have a kid and right because that was a big uh, that was a big concern. Like, yeah. So in in a way, she she grew up and and lived with a freedom that a lot of people were not afforded back then, and so she was. You can see what what can happen if a person is allowed to live and thrive in who they are. Right. And yeah, it's like you said, in her late seventies and her eighties, she had been out and just, you know, she had opened up her home, which is where she ran her printing press, so that gays and lesbians, everybody could come and just hang out at her house. She made it very welcoming welcoming and opening. And people got to know her. And I think I mean, I just got the sense that part of her appeal was that she transcended generations and that someone who was who had been around for so long would still go and socialize and go to bars and go to clubs and then go to universities and speak more and more. She got older because she had so much experience to draw from. Yeah. And she had that mother figure. Yeah. And I mean, I can, it's inspiring to see and being able to offer that safe space that, People did not have back then. That they I mean, didn't have back then. The especially w- if you're African American and gay. Right. <laughs> and back in that time when you were being persecuted. I mean, throughout the whole time, being persecuted for just being. Being a woman, being black. Yeah. And then, you know, whoever knew that you were gay for being gay. It's just, she was at the crossroads of so many different tension points it's, where she it's kind of like that safe haven that what, what is that uh, tales from the city yeah that it kind of seemed like a tales from the city kind of situation yeah because she, i didn't really think about that but you're right yeah she had her home and it was open to queer people and it's a safe haven and the ruth ellis center that she started later in life um that's it's for homeless lgbtq which there are only like four or five in the states of those kind of charities that focus on imagine how needed that is in a lot of cases yeah a lot of homeless youth are kicked out by their parents because they are gay so i mean 
Yeah. All no, in all, it makes her a very lovable a figure. I was really happy with the pictures that I found. <laughs> well, I'm always like, I like the pictures that you find. You definitely go in and you find some good pictures. And I like the story that can be seen playing out in the pictures. I mean, yeah. That you find. The one picture where she's looking at a woman in that loving way. Right. For a picture like that to exist, I mean, you would see a lot of, like, older pictures, black and white pictures with women sitting, like, you know, sitting side by side looking at the camera or or gay men. It wasn't never, like, looking at each other right in that way. So, I mean, I, I like all of her pictures and it was... That's what excites me a lot of the time when I find really good pictures, really good quality, because... If you look through her hashtag or, you know, and almost everywhere, it was just really bad quality versions of the pictures I wanted in good quality. Right. So to find them and to find one of them, I found them in um, Wanda Sykes' Twitter account. She Oh, because she, she had one. some involvement with the yeah. organization. Yeah, she's she's talks about her and yeah. She's, I was gonna put that into the story, but to it. okay. So this episode is running a bit long. Um, I feel like processing time and being able to articulate our thoughts—they've caught up with each other. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, and I like that. Yeah. All right then. Well, on that note, then until next time. Bye. Bye. Subscribe to our podcast, we put it on Google, and follow us on social media on every platform, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, we're everywhere.